Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Stay tuned for a classic edition of Trailer Talk from the archives. This is Sabrina, and I am here with Malika Dutt. We are here in Sullivan County. We are here in the town of Bethel in Smallwood, New York, and I have the pleasure of inviting Malika to my virtual and imagined trailer. We'll act as if, and I invite you all to join us around the kitchen table of the Beeline Travel Trailer as we have this conversation. Malika, please introduce yourself. Hi, Sabrina. It's uh, so wonderful to be up here in this gorgeous land in the Catskills with you and the fall colors around us as the leaves change. We've known each other for a while. Um, and, you know, I, I am curious about how to introduce myself these days because I've been through some pretty major transitions. Perhaps the best way to describe uh, who I am and what I'm doing in the world right now is to say that I want to promote interconnectedness. I want to look for ways in which we can find connection to ourselves, to one another, and to our planet, to this earth, to all of the beings that are our relations on this, on this planet. So my initiative that I now run is called Interconnectedness, Shared Well-Being for People and Planet. I approach the work through a multiplicity of avenues, through ritual, through ceremony, through designing programs for organizations, facilitating conversations for groups. I coach folks. I also practice energy medicine. So I kind of explore all of my gifts and my talents and my skills in the service of interconnectedness. So Malika, if you can share with us as you have acknowledged this transition and what you're doing at present, but if you can take us back a little bit in time, because I'm very interested how you went from what you had been doing with founding and leading and guiding Breakthrough, an organization that was focused on uh, addressing violence that is happening against women and girls, and then also addressing men and boys, your Ring the Bell initiative, etc. So if you can guide us a bit from where you've come from, and then to this transition and what you're doing now, because it was a big change and a big choice that you made. In some ways, I feel like my human rights journey of the last three decades really prepared me to step into and understand the paradigm of interconnectedness. I began my work around human rights issues, you know, while I was in college, then while I was in law school, grad school, worked on a range of issues from trafficking in women to U.S. engagement in Latin America, South America, uh, anti-CIA organizing, I mean, just a whole spectrum of things, including divestment from South Africa. And then when I finished law school, I started an organization called Saki for South Asian Women that worked with battered South Asian women, immigrant communities in New York City. And I was doing that while I was working at a fancy dancy law firm. 
That then led me into work in philanthropy. I worked at the Ford Foundation in India. I was with the Center for Women's Global Leadership during the times when we were really organizing at a global public policy level to get women's rights recognized as human rights. There were all of these gigantic UN World Conferences that really enabled the women's movement from every corner of the earth to come together to really demand recognition of basically the essential humanity of women. And then in 2000, I um, started an organization called Breakthrough. And Breakthrough's mission was to really change culture to respect human rights, to shift the norms that led to violence and discrimination, to create new norms, new values, new ways of being. And I created the organization in India and the United States. We began working on gender-based violence and violence against women in India, and right about then, the Twin Towers fell in the United States, and we found ourselves in the midst of this enormous backlash against immigrant communities. And so the work in the United States began to focus on racial justice and immigrant rights, the work in India on violence against women and girls. We used a lot of media and storytelling and different cultural tools. We had Ogilvy and other advertising agencies come on board as partners. And so we created these campaigns. And in the course of doing the work, I really began to realize that particularly around the issue of gender-based violence, we needed men to be a part of the equation. We needed men not just to be seen as perpetrators, but also to be uh, co-conspirators in creating this new world that we desired because it wasn't really possible to do that without them. So the Ring the Bell campaign that ensued called on men and boys to take a stand against domestic violence and ended up just having this enormous impact. We reached millions of people. It became a global campaign. It got adapted from Indian languages into Vietnam and South Africa and different parts of the world. And I was really on one of those, you know, uh, trajectories of being recognized as a public human rights activist, recognized with many awards, the Skoll Award, you know, opening the Clinton Global Initiative, the World Economic Forum, really pushing for human rights to become a part of those conversations. And then what happened was that my husband and I got divorced 10 years ago. There was something about that rupture between us, that falling apart between us when uh, that marriage ended that was really devastating for me. He became involved with our housekeeper, the woman who used to work in our home, and then they ended up getting married. And it was a very difficult time at multiple levels. During that time, a dear friend took me to meet with a shaman. This was a whole new world for me, the world of energy medicine that came out of Latin America. He was a Peruvian man. And then I met another shaman who was a Mexican man um, whose name was Rafael and who used music as his medicine to heal. I found myself exploring pathways of relating to the earth and to people that were new for me, that were different from the worlds of law and policy and organizing 
even though I had created a whole new field around culture change and norm change and using media arts and tech to create different stories and narratives, it was still in the old framework of division and separation. The human rights framework and paradigm is a paradigm that responds to the paradigm of hierarchies and separation that have gotten us into the mess that we are now. I was in the Amazon on an ayahuasca journey with these um, amazingly powerful shamans from the region, Shipibo, women and men, when the plant medicine and the jungle really showed me that the way in which I did my work perpetuated the same divisions that I was trying to change. The medicine world uses a lot of symbology to teach you and show you really your internal world as well as whatever lessons that the medicine wants you to leave with. Malika, can I ask you, how would you describe this ayahuasca journey and this journey into the jungle for those who aren't familiar with what this even means, like what this is as you continue in our conversation to talk about the symbology and this first experience of yours with it. Ayahuasca is uh, regarded as a teacher plant, a master teacher plant. The plant is a beautiful thin little vine that grows in the Amazon. And when it is combined with some other plants, particularly another plant called Chakruna, the alchemy of the two create a tea that you drink that then allows you to go on an inner journey. It opens up uh, parts of your brain and parts of your comprehension of the world around you that enable you to see, hear, experience differently. The lineage of the shamans that have worked with this plant medicine goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so there's a very sacred relationship to this plant where you do dietas and where you eat it in sacred ways to really learn its properties before you can actually start holding space for people. So I had started to study energy medicine with the four winds and as one of the experiences that I was then able to access I went to the Amazon with one of my teachers and it was life-changing. I mean really there's no other way for me to describe that experience. I was in the jungle for a week and as the lessons and the insights unfolded, seeing how I perpetuated the same hierarchies and divisions through my work around us versus them paradigms, if it was in the context of violence against women, really constructing it in men versus women, having an analysis of patriarchy for sure, but still being in a very us versus them context, and the medicine really sh was just this incredible experience of being in deep connection, not only with the jungle and with everything that I was experiencing, but being in deep connection with all humans, with all peoples, with all beings, with the planet and all of its species and inhabitants. 
inhabitants is this living, breathing, throbbing microcosm, macrocosm. And when I came back from the jungle, I knew that my path was going to shift from breakthrough and what I had been doing to something else. I had no idea what, but I knew that something was going to change. How do you reconcile this experience and understanding of a reality where there is not a hierarchy and a separation with work, as you're describing, that requires it? How, how does one move forward with that kind of understanding? Because you are engaged with culture shifts and tackling justice issues, but somehow now through this other lens and with this new initiative that you're working on. The reason that I use the word interconnectedness is because it's really about learning to hold it all as opposed to collapsing into one or the other. So even as I lived in the world of discrimination and violence and separation and hierarchy, what simultaneously existed that I had no access to was connection, was love, was compassion, was the ways in which we were all intertwined with one another. For me, interconnectedness isn't about just being in some kind of a kumbaya place all the time. It's actually about learning how to hold polarity and hold complexity. In some ways, the movements around the recognition of multiple gender identities shows us some of those pathways because in insisting that we get beyond binaries, it actually allows us to be present with a much wider expression of who we are. One of my teachers has constantly said, we need to learn how to play all 88 keys. And what happens to us, especially when we're kids, is that whatever the circumstances are that we face, and they may be traumatic or they may not be traumatic, but we learn certain survival mechanisms, right? Like we learn how to be really skillful at being aggressive or being compliant. Or, you know, if you think about fight flight responses, we learn how to either get into an advocacy place with somebody or a freeze place, or we check out or we try and appease people. And Unlike animals, those kinds of responses get stuck in our nervous systems. And then that starts informing how we become present in our work, in our relationships, in our communities, and with the earth. So I think the biggest shift for me is to just have a deeper sense of compassion for myself and for everybody around me. To first start with gathering up all the parts of myself that I had separated from. Because when you are in in that world of so much violence and discrimination, you're hearing thousands and thousands and thousands of stories of women who have been brutalized, murdered, beaten in so many different ways. You know, your body is actually receiving all of that trauma and we don't learn how to allow it to move through or allow it to ground. And so then that's the armoring then starts within our body. So then we're like walking around getting more and more disassociated with ourselves or more and more angry or more and more full of grief but without really being aware of how all of that is influencing ourselves and our work. So I think for me, the shift has been to move to a place of greater self-awareness, to hold more complexity, and to have a little bit more love and compassion and kind of how I relate to everything around me. Malika, how 
Do you work with organizations and people now through your interconnectedness project, through this initiative? And how does that relate to where we are right now? We're sitting in upstate New York, in the United States, the election approaches. I'm just wondering, as you say, you're working towards this embracing of complexity, but how this is connecting for you now with your work? I'll actually start with a more personal example and then give you some examples from work. So I live in Manhattan and um, the superintendent of my building is a staunch Republican and a staunch supporter of the current president. He has, I don't know how many guns. um, And, you know, the things that he stands for and the values that he espouses are very different from mine. He is also one of the kindest people that I know. He takes incredible care of me. In the building, he is there for He is there for tenants, for the elderly, for folks with kids, for, you know, all of us. And when we went through the early months of the pandemic, he and all of the people who work for us in the building just took such exquisite, loving care of all of us that I am just incredibly grateful for him and for, you know, everything that he does for me and for the building. I could look at him as a Republican and as a supporter of white supremacy, bigotry, anti-feminist, hateful, right? Like I could have a whole narrative around him from a political lens, which would completely ignore all the other dimensions of him that I experienced living in the building and being taken care of by this He's a giant, large man. Um, So I know that my own transitions and shifts within myself allow me to be in relationship with him from a place of, I don't know, more humanity. We argue. We argue about the political stuff. It's not like we just avoid it. We have all kinds of arguments. And, um, you know, we've kind of come to a, a place of detente on our Facebook relationship where neither one of us comments on each other's Facebook pages because, you know, that would start a whole other uh, series of uh, very combative conversations, perhaps. So, you know, that's just like a lived experience for me of how we learn to make distinctions between the humanity of people and certain beliefs or certain orientations or certain values rather than just completely separating ourselves out or canceling each other out completely just because we are along an ideological spectrum because there's so many other ways in which we may connect. And that really connects for me living in Sullivan County, New York, where we have so many different kinds of people with different kinds of beliefs. But the bottom line is that that we are here for each other in emergencies, for fundraisers. It's a volunteer ambulance corps, fire department. So there is still a connectedness that we depend on, even with different beliefs. You mentioned the pandemic. So I, I wanted to ask, 
with the traditions that you study and now with your own work with teaching and being a guide, how would you frame this for us? What does the pandemic for you, is it representing something? Has it shifted something for you during these eight or more months? For me, the pandemic is a very loving and strict warning from the earth. The virus comes to us as a teacher to show us how the current ways in which we live on this planet are unsustainable and untenable, that the uh, economic structures that we've created, the social structures we've created, the environmental structures that we've created are deeply harmful for not only the majority of the species that inhabit this planet, but us as a species as well. It's caused an enormous amount of pain for a lot of people. It's also lifted the veils off of the deep inequalities that exist in our society. You know, again, living in Manhattan, I often talk about this period as I've really learned to live between rupture and rapture, between sirens and birdsong. The first couple of months of the pandemic in the city were really, really scary. There were people going to hospital in very large numbers, people who were dying. There were morgues, makeshift morgues outside hospitals because there was nowhere to take the dead bodies. Uh, the front lines were besieged. I mean, we really, it was a very challenging time. And I, I think I heard sirens all day long. And then in the pauses between the sirens, I heard birdsong. And I have a terrace, and there were birds that in the 30 years that I had lived in New York City that I had never actually been able to hear because A, the cacophony in the city is so loud, and B, because the air was so polluted or like all of the ways in which we went about our business were so alienating. And so I feel like um, the lesson of the pandemic is... A moment for us to take a pause, slow down, and shift into what I hope is going to be the greatest awakening of humankind, at least in my lifetime, and an awakening into the interconnectedness of all things, and then therefore some deep reflection and some deep shift around how we treat each other and how we live on this planet together. Thank you so much, Malika, for sharing these things for guiding me last night on Halloween, on the night of souling, for a Sawen ceremony that honored and remembered our ancestors. I want to thank you for that. If you could just share with us how you would describe what that time, what that night represents in terms of an opening or a possibility. Well, the ritual that we did last night actually draws from uh, very ancient Celtic traditions. And so it's been my honor to learn about uh, traditions, particularly shamanic traditions from north, south, east, and west. The veils between the worlds are very thin um, at this time of the year. And so this night last night was really about creating a table of offering 
for our ancestors and it was really beautiful. We each, we each created a plate of food, a glass of wine and flowers for each of our lineages and then we created a plate and a glass for the spirits of the land and we laid this table and we invoked the fairy king and queen to open uh, the portals to allow us to be in a place of relationship with our ancestors honoring them because none of us would be here if it wasn't for all of the hundreds and hundreds of people that came together at different points in time to create these beings, you and me sitting mm -hmm. at, at this moment in these chairs across from each other. We also have so many different ancestors, right? We have so many beloveds, so many friends, animal friends, human friends who have walked with us at different points in our lives. Our ancestors are also our past selves, our past relationships. I know that when I was pulling together uh, the photographs that I wanted to be looking at and, and honoring, it was my ex-husband, past relationships, my childhood self. I have a very ruptured relationship with my brother. So, you know, looking at a past self where we were close, my dogs that I had um, who were companions along the way, and then, of course, grandparents and others who have transitioned. For me, it's really important to take these moments to open those portals say thank you, give gratitude, recognize those who may still not have healed, who may still be in pain, recognize those who may have caused enormous harm to others, and either at a familial level or even at a much larger societal level, recognize those who are healed or who have gone on and done amazing things in the world. And then we told our own stories, we shared incredibly beautiful stories of ancestors, especially women who have been left out of the stories that are told and retold and passed on. For me, it was a way in which we wove that together and then we went to the fire and invoked wishes for the world. We asked the fire to dissolve the harmful practices that we engage in this eve of this election and we really invoked blessings for the world and then we ended up under this beautiful tree amidst these stones under that gorgeous blue moon and we witnessed one another and all of our magic and all of our witchery and all of our uh, specialness and our deepest desires and we danced and we sang and that's what the ritual meant for me. Malka, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your work about a message for us i would like to say that the first most important step towards shifting into a different paradigm is to learn to love yourself i know that sounds really hokey but we live with so much trauma and so much disassociation within ourselves and then everything in society tells us we're not good enough, or we're too fat, or we're too this, or we're too dumb, or we're not rich enough, or, you know, like there's just a constant barrage of not enough, not enough, not enough. And if we can get to a place of holding all of ourselves on many, many, many parts and really feeling into our enoughness, I think it would fundamentally shift how we showed up 
on this planet, for each other, for other species, how we think about the systems we want to create, the processes, the education system, the economics. I think everything would change if we learned to move from the hierarchies that divide us from ourselves to becoming more whole, standing in a place of wholeness and standing in a place of connection. Thank you, Malika. I want to thank you for having this conversation. Thank you so much. It's delightful to be in this trailer with you around the table, the kitchen table. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Malika Dutt. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.